0: section sixteen of the end of the middle age twelve seventy three to fourteen fifty three by eleanor constance lodge this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter eight empire and papacy fourteen fourteen to fourteen fifty three part two sigismund was now king of bohemia but busy in protecting hungary against the turks he took no decided steps at once to quell the bohemian disturbance and hoped to smooth matters over by negotiation perhaps had the rebels been merely disciples of the moderate teaching of huss this would have been possible but a far more violent party had gradually been forming known as the taborites these had been organized in large open-air meetings and were anxious to break loose from all authority both of church and empire two bohemian nobles headed this party both of great zeal and ability nicholas of Husiness, a man of practical wisdom and foresight and the one-eyed ziska a general and tactician of extraordinary merit the war became a mixture of religious and political struggle for besides taking up arms to defend their faith the Bohemians were also fighting for their nationality against Sigismund, whom they would not recognize as their king. The long struggle, which now began in real earnest, falls roughly into three divisions. At first, the war was defensive. The Hussites were infuriated and united by the measures taken against them, by the Crusades, as they were called, which were arranged by the Pope and Sigismund, and by the fact that a german army was sent to put them down, thereby inflaming their national ardour and lending vigour and purpose to their resistance. Later, from 1427 onwards, the war became offensive on their side. To hold their own, it was necessary to weaken their adversaries by carrying war into the enemy's country, and the terror of their arms extended into Saxony, Silesia, Austria, and even further finally the divisions which from the first threatened to disunite the bohemian party became more and more numerous and accentuated and the struggle degenerated into a civil strife between moderates and extremists which eventually enabled the emperor to re-establish his authority and bring the war practically to a close the programme of the hussites formulated in fourteen twenty and recognised as a sort of creed for the whole party was known as the four articles of prague. These demanded complete liberty of preaching, communion in both kinds for laymen, as well as priests, the exclusion of the clergy from temporal power and undue wealth, and the immediate repression of open sins, for commission of which the clergy should be liable to secular penalties. This was the confession of faith put forward by the moderate party, Utraquists or progers, as they came to be called the taborites went much further and had more social and political aims some amongst them advocated a regular communistic system in which there should be no private property but goods of all sorts should be held in common with the proclamation of war against them differences were for the time forgotten in the common danger and in the strength of this united effort Sigismund and the German army was driven out of Bohemia by a series of glorious victories. Three Crusades were defeated in 1420, 1421, and 1422, and so great was the terror inspired by the invincible Hussites that, as one chronicler says, the Germans had such a loathing for heretics that they could not bring themselves to strike them or even to look them in the face. These victories were due in great measure to the training and leadership of Ziska. He knew how to convert raw peasants into disciplined soldiers ready to hold their own against feudal forces. He paid great attention to artillery and was one of the first generals to turn it to real account. But above all, he made use of the old war chariots and wagons according to a method all his own and totally baffling to the enemy. These wagons, attached by chains, formed a defense on the march, or a fortification for the camp, or even a weapon of offense when driven at full speed amongst the ranks of the enemy, or filled with stones and rolled down upon them from above. The wagons used to be arranged according to letters of the alphabet, and if the enemy got entangled amongst them, they could never find the way out, whilst the Hussites, knowing the key, could twist through them with ease in manoeuvring and management of troops ziska's ability was astonishing especially when it is remembered that in fourteen twenty one a wound in his only sound eye rendered him totally blind he never for a moment relaxed his energetic and victorious career but was carried into the battle on one of his celebrated wagons in one way indeed this misfortune of their leader by helping to put more responsibility on the officers who carried out his commands trained them all the more fully in the art of war ziska unfortunately was more of a general than a statesman and his violent zeal embittered party strife and helped to prevent that complete union of the hussites which might have led to an earlier settlement of the struggle having driven sigismund from the country bohemia was at first organised under a temporary government and began to look about for a new king the crown was offered to ladislas of poland and though he refused it he sent his nephew Koribut to assist the rebels and he was received in prague as ruler of the land his position was however a difficult one and the taborites were not really favourable and the idea of thus establishing a slav monarchy failed his withdrawal was followed by terrible internal discord the Pragers were anxious to make some sort of a compromise and recalled korobot who had schemes of putting himself at the head of the moderate party and effecting a union with the church the Taborites were furious at the idea of making any concession, and the year 1424 is known as Ziska's Bloody Year, for he turned his forces against the moderate party and wrought terrible havoc in the land. His death from plague in the same year did nothing to quiet these dissensions, but only added to divisions by splitting up the Taborite party. His special followers, orphans they were called, to typify their grief at his loss, chiefly a social and political party did not disagree with the extreme taborites a religious section who denied transubstantiation and all church control these divisions were not yet however sufficient to hinder hussite success a new leader appeared Procup the great a priest who never himself wielded a weapon but who was well able to lead his troops to victory and to enforce discipline and obedience he was of middle height strongly built with a very sunburnt face large eyes and fiery aspect to his skill as a general he added much theological knowledge and an eloquent tongue which he used to good purpose later at the council of Basel. for the present however war was his trade and he began his career with great success in saxony which opened the period of offensive warfare He also routed the new crusading army led against the Bohemians by Cardinal Beaufort, who in vain tried to rally his panic-stricken troops, tearing the imperial standard to pieces in his indignation at their cowardice. A further victory at Taos in 1431 completely overpowered the Fifth Crusade and ended the last effort to put down the intrepid Hussites by force of arms. The only hope now was to settle the dispute by council. It will be remembered that Martin V just before his death had arranged for the meeting of a great church council at Basel and cardinal Cesarini had been appointed to preside 1431 to 1449 the council had a difficult opening for the new pope Eugenius IV tried to dissolve it it was only after much controversy and great firmness on the part of the leaders of the assembly that his opposition was withdrawn and to this he was forced because of the dangers which surrounded him in italy which made him fear to arouse further enmity the council was deliberating whilst the pope was escaping from a roman revolt fourteen thirty-one. this he did by the aid of a pirate who took him down the tiber in a crazy old boat eugenius lay at the bottom of this covered by a shield while the populace ran along the bank hurling stones and shooting arrows by daring and good luck the pirate succeeded in bringing his valuable cargo safely to a larger vessel and the pope at last found shelter and respect in the city of florence the first act of the Council of Basel was to invite the bohemians to send a deputation to endeavour to arrange terms in january fourteen thirty two seven nobles and eight priests headed by Procup the great and preceded by a banner with the motto truth conquers all entered the city whilst the populace flocked to gaze upon the little troop and their escort of horsemen with their strange dress and fierce faces the conference was conducted with great moderation and considerable ability on both sides and when argument threatened to become bitter cesarini knew how to pacify the disputants with extraordinary tact and wisdom after long and difficult consultation a basis of compromise was agreed upon and at prague compacts were drawn up and accepted by the moderate party in bohemia fourteen thirty-three. liberty of preaching was permitted so long as it did not exceed what ecclesiastical superiors approved communion in both kinds was allowed to those who demanded it crimes were to be punished according to the law of god and the institutes of the fathers but the clergy were not to be excluded from the possession of property. Unfortunately this agreement did not meet with the approval of the more extreme party in Bohemia, and Prokop at the head of Taborites and orphans took up arms against the moderates. At Lipan, 1434, a terrible battle was fought between fellow-countrymen which raged a whole day and a whole night. Prokup and his men refused to surrender and were cut down in tremendous numbers the result was a victory for the party of conciliation and a step toward the final settlement there were not only religious but also political difficulties to be overcome and it was not until fourteen thirty six that sigismund was able to enter prague and formally assume the bohemian crown the keys and seal of the town were given into his hands and he on his side delivered to the magistrates a document confirming all the old privileges and rights of the city sigismund had now obtained all his crowns before attending the basil council he had wished to add to his dignity by receiving formal coronation in italy and had set out in fourteen thirty one from milan to acquire the iron crown of lombardy this he did but the duke of milan at that time filippo maria visconti either from fear or jealousy would not be present at the ceremony excusing himself on the absurd plea that if he saw sigismund his joy would kill him the emperor was not on good terms with the pope since he was strongly in favour of the council which eugenius was endeavouring to dissolve in the end however they waived their differences and sigismund came to rome to receive the imperial crown his commanding figure smiling face and flowing beard were much admired by the italians and the ceremony was successfully accomplished on the head of the emperor was first placed a bishop's mitre then the golden crown and whilst he held the imperial sword eugenius bore the crucifix they left the church together sigismund leading the papal mule for a few paces before mounting his own more martial steed the bohemian crown The last which Sigismund acquired was not altogether a peaceful possession. For though open war was ended, troubles and dissensions were to continue for many a long day, and plots were formed against the new monarch, which were encouraged by his own wife. Sigismund, however, was not long to enjoy triumphs or to struggle with dangers. His death is curiously characteristic a display of very real courage employed for dramatic effect. Feeling his end draw near, he first attended mass, robed and crowned in all his imperial splendor, and when that was over, grave clothes were placed above his grand vestments. And thus arrayed, he awaited death, seated on his throne. Where on the evening of the same day he passed away, ninth of December, fourteen thirty-seven. For three days, his corpse was left seated according to his command that men might see that the lord of all the world was dead and gone. Although it is impossible to avoid smiling at the almost childish vanity of Sigismund and his striving after effect, it is nevertheless true that his aims were high, his schemes of peace, reformation and unity noble and desirable. Only he was too impatient and too changeable to carry through any concerted plan his worst fault however was lack of truthfulness his word could not be relied upon and no good intentions could atone for such extreme untrustworthiness all this time the council of Basel was continuing its sessions and more and more inclining toward attacks upon the papal authority despite the effects of cesarini to modify its violence it was no wonder that eugenius was ready to take the first opportunity to assert his independence an occasion presented itself in connection with the negotiations now open with the greeks john the sixth head of the eastern empire established at constantinople was in a very dangerous position owing to the inroads of the turks who were getting nearer and nearer to his capital city and his one hope lay in assistance from western europe it had long been the cherished wish of the papacy to establish a union between the eastern and western churches which had only come together very temporarily in the time of gregory x and john in his great need for help contemplated a sacrifice of greek independence in return for active support eugenius keenly anxious to win honour as negotiator of so great a matter urged that the council should transfer itself to italy as more convenient for the greek envoys and when the basil assembly refused this proposal he summoned a council of his own at ferrara to discuss the important business Fourteen thirty-eight, the eastern emperor himself and the patriarch of constantinople as head of the greek church came in person to the conference with twenty-two bishops they landed in venice where the doge received them with the greatest magnificence his vessel adorned with scarlet and gold and golden lions on the prow at ferrara eugenius met them and considerable difficulty was caused over the exact ceremonial details which were to be observed the patriarch for example was furious at the idea of kissing the pope's foot and after a whole day had been wasted in discussing this vital question he was let off with a salutation on the papal cheek. Even this had to be done privately that none might be surprised. Another great difficulty was the arrangement of seats at the council. It had been suggested that the Greeks and Latins should occupy opposite sides, and the Pope should be enthroned as a link between the two. This again offended the susceptible embassage, and in the end the Greek emperor was given a throne facing that of the Pope with the patriarch behind him this did not satisfy the patriarch for he was not allowed to adorn his seat with curtains as he wished in order that it might resemble the papal throne at last all was set in order and the conference began there were really no great points of doctrine in dispute between the two churches but long hours of discussion were spent over small details and verbal differences the real difficulty was that the eastern church was unwilling to submit to the papal supremacy and it was only with the most extreme reluctance that this at last was done as the only chance of help in the immediate emergency the council had been transferred to florence and there in fourteen thirty nine the greeks accepted terms of union and the emperor consented to admit we recognize the pope as sovereign pontiff vice-regent and vicar of christ shepherd and teacher of all Christians, ruler of the Church of God, saving the privileges and rights of the patriarchs of the East, 1439. The pacification was little more than nominal. The Greeks at home were furious at the terms, no great European force was raised to oppose the Turks, and no permanent results seemed to follow the Union. For Eugenius, however, the Council of Florence had been extremely advantageous he won much prestige as the creator of unity in christendom and this had been done in an italian council completely under his authority the council of Basel had no corresponding successes to show for its work and was stirred to fresh measures of independence in fourteen thirty nine its members went so far as to depose eugenius and to start another schism by electing a pope of their own it was necessary to choose someone with money and they turned to amadeus duke of savoy a widower with several children and great political influence his wife had been a daughter of philip the bold of burgundy and his daughters had been married to the duke of milan and the duke of anjou of late years however he had withdrawn into religious seclusion and though still a layman founded a sort of order adopting a grey monkish cloak and a gold cross a writer of the time thinks that there was quite as much luxury as religion in his comfortable hermitage. Amadeus accepted the offers of the council, and took the name of Felix V in 1439, but begged that he might be allowed to keep his beard. This he was eventually induced to sacrifice, as it gave him so strange an appearance amongst all the clean-shaven priests and cardinals. To meet this difficulty, Eugenius felt that he must win the active support of Germany and the Emperor. Sigismund's death had ended the male line of the great House of Luxembourg. In accordance with his wishes, the electors chose as his successor Albert of Austria, the representative of the famous House of Habsburg, 1438-1440, so long excluded from the imperial dignity albert was a ruler of great promise but unfortunately he barely survived his election two years his death cleared the way for a very inferior successor frederick the third fourteen forty to fourteen ninety three the cousin of the dead monarch belonged to the younger branch of the Habsburg family and was a young man of an easy-going temper which did not lead him to take a very decided policy one way or the other perhaps his inactivity was not altogether due to indolence he was by no means lacking in brains and sometimes found that to do nothing was the best way of avoiding difficulties the pope had a very able envoy to arrange terms of friendship with germany aeneas silvius piccolomini who was to play a most important part in later history had already distinguished himself at Basel and elsewhere he came from a family noble though poor and had been well educated at siena he obtained work as secretary for various churchmen whom he accompanied to the council of basel and his ability and extraordinary powers of persuasion led to his being employed on important embassies he had also literary distinctions was crowned with the laurel wreath as imperial poet and is the author of a vivid account of the great events in which he took part owing largely to his tact and exertions germany was restored to obedience just before the death of eugenius the fourth in fourteen forty seven and this alliance was confirmed and strengthened by the succeeding pope nicholas the fifth fourteen forty seven to fourteen fifty five who was able to arrange terms almost wholly to the advantage of the papacy nicholas was a very able man who did much to restore papal prestige although his outward appearance was anything but impressive. He was small and insignificant, with weak legs, a harsh voice, and a very pale face disfigured by protruding lips. Only his large black eyes expressed something of his commanding intellect. His concordant with the emperor gave the final blow to the feeble existence of the council of Basel, 1449 felix v who had gained little by his empty and expensive title was readily transformed once more into amadeus of savoy and the council was quietly dissolved having first secured its dignity by electing nicholas as pope in fourteen fifty a magnificent jubilee at rome was the outward and visible sign of the renewed power of the roman pontiff a further triumph for nicholas was the arrival of frederick III in rome for coronation at his hands. 1452. Formerly, writes Aeneas Silvius, the imperial authority surpassed all. Today, that of the Pope is by far the greater. The ceremony was one of great magnificence, but for Frederick it was quite an unprofitable triumph. He spent a very pleasant time in Italy, wandered happily about Rome to enjoy the sights, and bought various articles of luxury in the shops of Venice but he had no solid result to show here then we must leave pope and emperor the empire had been steadily declining not only were ideas of universal rule abandoned and italy practically independent but the disunion of germany was a great source of weakness outlying possessions had been gradually lost france had been extending her eastern frontier burgundy in the hands of an important french family was becoming very independent and now the Turks were threatening great danger in the east. Frederick III was not a man to conquer difficulties, but he is important in German history nevertheless because of his consolidation of Habsburg territories. From this time onward, with one short exception, the imperial office remained in the hands of this family until the empire fell before Napoleon I. Even now the Habsburg House rules over the present Empire of Austria. Nicholas V, on the other hand, seemed to have restored the papacy to something of its old dignity. The attempts to rule the Church by councils, independent of and superior to the Pope, had failed. Basel was the last general council ever held of the undivided Western Church. The popes were strong and attempted, for a time, to pose as the leaders of learning and the heads of the coming Renaissance. But this victory was less complete than it appeared at the time. The councilor movement had failed, not so much because of papal power as because of the development of national churches. It was this which had rendered it impossible to arrive at any satisfactory solution at Constance as well as at Basel. It was impossible to make arrangements for the whole of Christendom, when the Church in England, in France and in Germany, each had its own ideas as to what was best, and each wished to maintain its own rights and independence. Thus the apparent reaction in favour of orthodoxy and papal authority was soon to give way before national opposition, and the growing desire for reform and liberty of thought. In 1453 the Protestant revolution was very close at hand. End of section 16.